Good morning. As Don mentioned, there will be a theme through the next five Sundays, the theme of the Lord Jesus' resurrection. We're grateful for this teaching. It's very important, very powerful, and um, uh, it glorifies the Lord in a way that, uh, uh, that we can. The... Um, Uh, so far in this letter, the Apostle Paul has addressed multiple problems in the Corinthian assembly, among them uh, divisions within the church, the um, Corinthians' reliance on human wisdom to present the truth of God, the toleration of sexual immorality among the saints, the abuse of Christian liberty, taking brethren to court for grievances, misuse of spiritual gifts. And so um, in this part of the letter, you can imagine, I can imagine uh, the Apostle Paul sitting down um, with um, Sosthenes and, uh, and writing this letter. I was wondering today, how long did it take Paul to write? Because he, he addressed all these different issues. But um, today, uh, we're going to look at the problem of some in the assembly denying the resurrection. And it's, um, it's really spelled out for us in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. We'll be here in 1 Corinthians 15 this morning. Turn there, please. And in verse 12, the apostle writes, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead... How do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? This is the problem is uh, that some of the Corinthians were questioning. They were denying, in fact, the Lord Jesus' resurrection. And the thought occurred to me as, um, as I was coming up here that uh, we probably should read an account of the resurrection before we get too far into our message. So if you would, let's um, turn to, keep your finger there, and let's turn to John 20 for an account of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus from the dead. In uh, John 19, the, um, the Lord Jesus was crucified and uh, died on the cross. And uh, 19, verse 40, then they took the body of the Lord Jesus, of Jesus, and bound it in strips of linen with, with the spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where, they, where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So there they laid Jesus because of the Jews' preparation day, for the tomb was nearby. The, um, imagine the despair and discouragement of the disciples as they laid uh, the Lord Jesus' body in the tomb. Three days passed, and uh, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, 
they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen clothes lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first, went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. Hallelujah. The Lord is risen. The, um, the Corinthians, some of them denied that the Lord raised from the dead, rose from the dead. And an attack on a part of the gospel, which the resurrection is, is an attack on the whole of the gospel. Hopefully we'll gain fresh appreciation this morning for what a person has lost who denies the resurrection and what we have who believe in the Lord Jesus' resurrection. Let's pray. No more we doubt the glorious Prince of Life. What a... Um, what an event this is, what a, an affirmation, a confirmation of the payment for our sin that you would rise from the dead. We, um, we pray, Lord, that you might um, give fresh appreciation to us who know you for the, um, the meaning of your resurrection, how important it is. And for those who do not know you, Lord, that um, they might see their need this morning and turn to you in faith. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, 1 Corinthians 15. Moreover, brethren, Paul's introducing a new subject. He um, had spent uh, three chapters on spiritual gifts. Um, now, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand by which also you're saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over uh, 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. <clears throat> For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. We'll present the script, this scripture portion. 
this morning in uh, four headings. The power of the gospel, what it does. The content of the gospel, what it is. The undeniability of the resurrection, why it can't be ignored. And fourth, God's gracious delivery of the message. Go and do likewise. First, the power of the gospel. I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you. Was this news to the Corinthians? We could understand their confusion if Paul had never introduced the, um, the teaching, the truth of the resurrection. As a new believer, an older brother asked me what the gospel was, <clears throat> and I did not know, um, but I quickly found out. But uh, these, um, uh, for these Corinthians, the gospel was not new. And in a few verses, Paul will give us a synopsis of what that gospel is. But um, Paul had preached to them four or five years previous and um, had spent 18 months with the, um, with the Corinthians. And he had laid a foundation for the church, uh, for the Corinthian church. They were not strangers to, uh, to the resurrection. Their initial response, they received the good news with joy. The gospel was their strength in trials of faith. The, the apostle says, um, in this you stand, you stand. Most importantly, by receiving the gospel, by believing its effectiveness for them personally, they were saved. There is a quality of faith which is endurance. Saving faith is an enduring faith. And by that we mean that a person has a steady grip on the truths of God's word. However, the Corinthians were not saved by their grip. They were saved by God's provision of a savior as proclaimed in the gospel. As many as received it and believed it and made it their own. The if here in Paul's statement, if you hold fast that word, means that if you don't believe the gospel today, you never were saved. A person who doesn't believe the gospel, I'm sorry, a, a person who doesn't believe the gospel doesn't lose his grip only to be lost. But if a person is not holding fast to the gospel, it's because he never received it. Have I thoroughly confused you? Okay. Paul is saying here that um, uh, a person doesn't lose his salvation because he lost his grip on the truth. Paul says that uh, that person did not receive the truth. And, and uh, so... He's not holding fast the gospel. He's not saved. He never did receive the gospel. Paul says, unless you believed in vain. What does it mean to believe in vain? I thought if a person believed that he was uh, saved. 
What does empty belief look like? We'd like to offer two illustrations from the teaching and the ministry of the Lord Jesus. The first is the, um, the parable of the seed falling on the different types of soil. One of those types of soil was stony ground. So when the, um, when the, sto when the um, seed fell and uh, it took root, it, uh, it bloomed, it, uh, it shot forth its, uh, its uh, sprout, and everything looked fine. But then when the sun came out and, uh, and beat on the, on the little plant, it withered and died because it had no root, it had no moisture. So in um, Luke 8, 13, the Lord explains this, um, this reception of his word. He says, the ones on the rock are those, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, who believe for a while, and in the time of temptation fall away. They, this hearer rejoiced in the truth, but when the son of adversity came out, he withered and um, was not a genuine believer at all. Testing is a good revealer of the genuineness of faith. We read, in fact, in 1 Peter, in this, the saving power of God, you rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. What's the purpose of trials? That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Testing is good. And there's, um, there's no faith like a proven faith, true faith. A second illustration of um, a false faith is the um, disciples who turned their backs on the Lord in John chapter 6. We read John's account, from that time many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. They had followed the Lord Jesus in his, in his ministry for, uh, for months, possibly years, and yet uh, at some point they, they turned back and didn't follow him anymore. Why? It's because in verse 60 of John 6, of the hard sayings, it was because of the hard sayings of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the Lord himself said that you followed me because of the loaves, because you ate and you were filled. They followed the Lord for the wrong reason. They saw him as a, um, as a provider of, of um, food, as a constant source of um, physical provision, and um, as one who would provide them their, their earthly wishes, whatever those were. And uh, they didn't see him as Lord. They saw him as, um, as some kind of a heavenly um, uh, bread provider. So a good question for us this morning, a good test is, um, do I see the Lord Jesus? Do I acknowledge him as my Lord and Savior? Do I do the things that he asks me to do because he's my master? Do I, um, 
Do I know his heart? Do I do those things that he wants me to do? Some Corinthians denied the resurrection and in so doing, they showed their disdain, their disapproval of the person of the Lord Jesus and of his work. But to reaffirm Paul's teaching by believing the gospel, you are saved. He, he wrote the Romans, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone, for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. And early in his letter to the Corinthians, he said, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but unto us who are being saved, it is the power of God. There is power in the gospel saving power. God's spokesman proclaimed the message. God saves those who believe that message. What's the application? We're going to try to make application as we go this morning. Application is maintain a steady grip on the truths of the gospel. That's a sure, uh, sure sign of, um, of life, of eternal life in a, in a uh, believer. Second, stand against those who would twist the gospel and instead we should strive for its purity and contend for its faith. If you see me preaching anything that's outside the bounds of um, Scripture, call me on it. We should take a stand. We should um, recognize those who are bending, they're adding to the gospel or taking away from the gospel. Protect it. Protect its purity. It requires commitment and diligent study to rightly divide the word of truth. So if we are to, to keep a steady grip on the truth, let us keep refreshing our, our minds, our hearts in that through diligent study. Well, that's the power of the gospel. What is the content of the gospel? Paul tells us in verse 3, I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. Paul was very careful to deliver first to the Corinthians that which was primarily important, that which was of first importance, and that simply the gospel. It was um, not of his own conception. It wasn't something that he thought of, but it was something that was delivered to him by divine inspiration. I delivered to you that which I also received from the Lord. What is the gospel substance? It's um, all about the Lord Jesus. He, be he begins with Christ. He is the prince of life. He is the author of life. He is the Lord of glory, the king of kings, the creator of the universe. And so Paul is right in starting at the center with the Lord Jesus, with Christ. But he states this startling fact. He says that Christ died. 
the author of life, died, he perished. What good news is this? Heaven's beloved, God's best, his only begotten son, his unique son, died? What gospel is this? What good news? The wonder continues as Paul revealed that he died. Jesus died not as a martyr or as an example for us for suffering, but for sins, a substitute for the godless, the profane, the blasphemer. The songwriter wrote, I love the old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. The gospel becomes intensely personal and infinitely profound as we read that Christ died for our sins, for yours and for mine. This is the, um, this is the personalness of God's love for us that Jesus would die for our sins in our place. And Paul says that it was according to scriptures. Not a surprise to the, uh, to the Jews because the Lord's death was, um, was predicted in detail in Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22. It's there, it's there. It's uh, according to the scriptures. But uh, not only did he die, but he also was buried. Why is that in the gospel? Christ died and was buried. He was uh, buried according also to the scripture. In Isaiah 53, 9, Isaiah wrote, They made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. I believe that the burial of the Lord Jesus is a part of the gospel because it gives a completeness and a finality to his death. We properly bury dead people and the Lord's burial for three days <clears throat> proved his death. There are religions today, whole religions, that deny the death of the Lord Jesus. And so the, his burial in that tomb uh, just solidifies um, that very fact. God provides abundant evidence that, yes, his son really died. But the all four Gospels give dramatic account to the rising of the Lord Jesus from the tomb. Paul continues that um, he was buried and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. We should count during these five weeks, make it a point to go through the, um, the New Testament and count the number of references there are to the Lord's resurrection. It's, it's very important, very powerful, and it's instructive for us to, uh, to see because the Lord is glorified through that. The scriptures that Paul refers to are Old Testament. The New Testament did not yet exist in written form. The Old Testament testifies of the Lord awaking from the dead. In Psalm 16, we read, Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. You will not leave my soul in Sheol 
nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. And these very verses are attributed to the Lord Jesus later in Acts chapter 2. What is the application of this, of the uh, substance of Scripture? Well, first and foremost, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You heard the gospel this morning. What will you do with it? It's my glad privilege to invite those of you who do not yet know the Lord Jesus to believe on him and you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with a heart one believes unto righteousness, and with a mouth confession is made unto salvation. Eternity is long. Heaven is sweet. Hell is a terror forever and ever. And so I exhort you on the um, basis of the death of the Lord Jesus, on his authority to come to him this morning. For those of us who know the Lord Jesus, keep first things first in your ministry to saved and unsaved. Paul delivered that which was first, that which was primary, and that was the gospel. Now let us turn to the indisputability of the gospel in verses 5 through 8. The Lord provides ample evidence of his rising from the dead by showing um, himself, by revealing himself to eyewitnesses. He was seen by Cephas, that is, by Peter. Bill MacDonald writes, This is very touching indeed. The same faithless disciple who had denied his Lord three times is graciously privileged to have a private appearance of that same Lord in resurrection. Truly how great is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter, <clears throat> Peter's life changed through seeing his risen Lord Jesus. What an honor, how gracious that was of the Lord Jesus to appear to him personally. But it's this, <clears throat> it's this reference that Paul makes to the um, 500 in verse 6. He was seen by over 500 brethren at once. That really lends weight to, um, uh, to this evidence. And I'd like to um, put a visual on the screen here to illustrate this evidence. And I uh, wonder, Marion, can you bring that up for us? What is this? Okay, good. You're, you're following. This is a car accident, and um, motorist in vehicle one ran a red light and collided with vehicle two. Okay. Motorist one failed to yield the right of way. He ran the red light. He's guilty of violating California Vehicle Code um, something. 
Motorist 2 is entitled to compensation for personal injury and for damage to his car. An event occurred here, resulting in a guilty driver and a victim. Are you able to, to see what happened? Do you have any questions? I will call on you to, um, to give a verdict here in a few minutes. Okay, so it's a, it's a fact. There was a, there was a collision. Um, one motorist, one, uh, ran the red light, and motorist two um, suffered a collision from him. Seems so straightforward. But <clears throat> the problem comes in when motorist one says, my light was green. Inferring that the other motorist light was red and that the other motorist was guilty of uh, violating California vehicle code, code whatever. Oh no, no, no. Motorist two says, no. My light was green, yours was red. Now we have conflict, now we have a problem, now we go to court. Have the facts of the accident changed? No. What has changed is the, uh, the testimony the contention of the uh, driver number one. Okay. <clears throat> Imagine yourself as a juror when this case goes to court. Without a witness, the court's going to have difficulty determining who was at fault. Potential solution. Into the courtroom walks Joe Smith. Joe says... My neighbor saw the whole thing. Motorist one ran the red light and he collided with motorist two. Is the case solved? No, because Joe's testimony is hearsay. He's saying that he heard someone say something and he's, uh, he's now sharing that and the courts do not accept that hearsay. The case is about to go to deliberation and you need something more as a juror to go on because all you have is motorist one saying, my light was green, yours was red. Motorist two saying, my light was green, yours was red. Where do we go with that? Next slide. Ah, what's that? What happened? We add a third motorist who is a witness. Enter. Sam Jones, I saw the accident. Motorist one ran the red light. Motorist two, he collided with motorist two. Now, um, Sam Jones is confirmed to be a reputable member of the community. He's an honest man and he knows neither motorists one or two. Does this help? What's your verdict now as a juror? Based on the testimony of an eyewitness, you are able to see clearly, act clearly. Okay, so that's the power of an eyewitness. Next slide. Suppose the accident had happened on a busy city street where you have not one witness, but you have 
a throng of onlookers. I don't know what these people were gathered here for, but let's say that um, they were participating in some event and the same accident occurred. The policeman takes a report and he interviews 500 people and they all say motorist one ran the red light and collided into motorist two. It's pretty, uh, pretty compelling. Each, uh, for the 500th time, this poor policeman's writing, writing his report. How solid is this case? We were willing to make a verdict based on the, on the testimony of one eyewitness. Here's, here's 500 people who are willing to, to swear, to confirm, to affirm that, um, that this accident happened the way it did. The Lord Jesus' resurrection was not hidden. It was not secret, but witnessed by many people in different places at different times. The evidence is compelling. It's overwhelming. Paul indicated further that more than half of these 500 were still alive. So that was an invitation to the doubter. You ask me for a name and an address, and I will provide that uh, for an eyewitness of the Lord's resurrection. Thank you. What is the moral implication of the Lord's rising from the dead? What's the, um, what do we take away from the Lord Jesus' resurrection? Well, we read in 2 Corinthians 5, the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and rose again. What is implied by those who deny Christ rose from the dead? Well, that we are still in our sins. Paul's going to bring this out in, in the next portion of this chapter. If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. That's the implication of denying the Lord's resurrection. A second implication is that we remain unjustified. How do we know if God was satisfied with Christ's payment for our sins? Was it complete? Was it satisfactory? He wrote to the Romans, Jesus our Lord was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised for our justification because of our justification. So the poor uh, resurrection denier doesn't know if, his, um, if, his, if the Lord Jesus' sacrifice was accepted. Third, the implication is that the Lord Jesus didn't do what he had promised. Over and over again in the Gospels we read of the Lord's promise that he would rise from the dead the third day. Destroy this house and in three days I will raise it up, this temple. And a fourth implication is that the Lord Jesus could not overcome death if he did not rise from the dead. Can a person be saved who rejects this portion of the gospel? No. 
But praise the Lord, we know that the Lord Jesus rose from the dead. We know our sins paid in full. Our faith is not futile. God is satisfied as shown by his receiving his son back at his right hand in honor and glory. Jesus did accomplish what he promised that he would. And he has overcome death. It was not possible that he should be held by it. So those are implications, those are moral implications of the Lord Jesus' resurrection. We should live for him because he lives. Jesus was seen not only by Cephas, not only by the 500, but by Paul as one born out of due time. Paul was years behind his contemporary apostles. He missed meeting the Lord Jesus during his earthly ministry. During the years that followed the Lord Jesus' resurrection, when the apostles were building Christ's church, Paul, Saul of Tarsus, was out there tearing it down. And so he refers to himself here as um, one born out of due time. If we look at the um, original, we, um, we see Paul referring to, to himself as a stillborn, as a uh, fetus. We, um, we looked briefly last week as, at uh, what we called worm theology and how, um, how we are but worms. The hymn writer expressed it thus, would Christ devote his sacred head for such a worm as I, or as Paul would say, a miscarried embryo. He, um, he had this view of himself. But in view of Paul's vicious persecution of the church and his marvelous privilege of meeting the Lord Jesus face to face on the road to Damascus, he's overwhelmed by this sense of unworthiness. God's grace is extreme. He converted Saul of Tarsus, the terror, to Paul, the apostle. Thankfully, Paul could add that uh, the Lord's grace was not in vain, but um, Paul ministered as the Lord enabled him and gave him opportunity, and so should we. We look now at um, verse 9 and uh, at the God's gracious delivery of his message. Paul says to the Corinthians, he says, I labored more abundantly than they all, than the other apostles. And we see something of his personal investment, his personal sacrifice in his labor among the Corinthians. But again, Paul says, it's um, by the grace of God which was with me. It was his, God's gracious provision and privilege. Then Paul writes that um, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. The apostles preach the same message. They are united in their, their teaching because it is 
from the Lord. It's God's revelation. And so it doesn't matter. You go and talk with Apollos. You go and talk with, um, with Peter, with James. You're going to get the same gospel from each of these, each of these men. What's the application now? For the Corinthians, consider the extent to which God worked to bring you this message. God transformed and prepared his messenger. God enabled and gave endurance to Paul for his ministry. And Paul made great sacrifices personally in reaching the Corinthians spent 18 months with them. For us who know the Lord, what application do we make? Well, to labor abundantly. We, we live for the Lord as, uh, as one who gave himself for us. We devote ourselves to study and obedience of God's word. People say we're too busy. Well, God wasn't too busy to inspire his word to reveal his truth, and Paul wasn't too busy to preach and write it, we should not be too busy to devote ourselves to it. And for those who do not yet know the Lord Jesus, receive the gospel, receive the Lord Jesus as not only your Savior, but also your Lord. Let's pray. What a tremendous truth Loaded with applications is your resurrection, Lord Jesus. You're rising from the dead. We are so glad because our eternal welfare depends on that, that event, that act. And so, um, Lord, help us to go through our week with, um, with a fresh appreciation. And during these following weeks that we might gain new insights into the, um, uh, the very death that you died, the very uh, resurrection that you, that you show. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.